Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 214 and I spoke with my niece, Jessie Robkin. She uh, is a transgender woman. She is a playwright. She is an advocate for trans rights and other human rights advocacies. she and I talked uh, the night before she left for Chicago to go back home, and uh, it was great. Uh, she actually is one of the very first guests I have had on the show way back four years ago. So it was really cool to be able to have the conversation again four years later about where she is now and in her journey uh, as a human and as a transgender woman and uh, as a playwright as well. So I've now had many family members on the show. My mom, my dad, my nephew, Alex, Jesse. Uh, I'm just going to keep going, going through the family. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's great. I love it. My family is, is diverse and fascinating and lovely and hilarious. And it's such a joy. Speaking of family, it's Father's Day this Sunday. So shout out to my dad. Love you, dad. And shout out to all the dads out there. In other news, social media, Hey Human Podcast is on Facebook and Instagram. I try to keep both those sites uh, updated as much as humanly possible with different content so you're not getting mirrored content on both. Uh, my Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for me personally is Susan Ruthism. Uh, you can also find me at susanruth.com where I try to keep uh, everything that's going on in my life besides the podcast, so music and art and all that on there and acting as well. Also, I was able to paint the album cover for uh, the band Smithfield. That song is actually dropping on Friday. Definitely check it out on iTunes. They're called Smithfield. The song is called We'll Figure It Out. I was going to play a little snippet from it for you. I don't know if this will work. Let's see what happens. These are turn roads, sunset highs and heartbreak lows, together there ain't no doubt, we'll figure it out, we'll figure it out, Ooh. Yeah, it worked, that's exciting. So yeah, uh, it's a great song and I was really honored that they asked me to paint the, the album artwork, so, or the single artwork, very exciting. Speaking of music to download, if you're in a downloading mood and you're already there on iTunes, check out my music, Susan Ruth. Uh, You can find several different albums on there, Surfacing to Breathe, How to Say Goodbye, and my most recent one, All I Ever Wanted Was Everything. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so, Susan, at heyhumanpodcast.com. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes and wherever you might get your podcasts. Make sure to check out the links page on heyhumanpodcast.com. There is tons of information for every episode, and this one is no different. So definitely check that out. Thanks to those of you who have donated to Hey Human. I really appreciate it, especially these days. Um, if you have other places that you're looking to donate, also check out Black Lives Matter and the Trevor Project, the NAACP, and the ACLU, uh, feedamerica.org. It's a great organization. So many great programs out there to donate to. So uh, check that stuff all out. All right, let's get into this episode. Thank you for listening, everyone. Take care of yourselves. Stay safe. Here we go. Jesse, welcome back to Hey Human. Thank you. 
good. I guess I wasn't Jesse last time, was I? No. Uh, Katie, you were Katie. God, yeah. I had to pull that out of the memory bank. So I'm you, Jesse. <laughs> My other dead name. Yeah, exactly. How are you doing? I am good. Um, feeling good. I've been sort of out in a, of my normal life for a while now. I mean, I guess everyone has, but my, you know, I've been especially out of my normal life for a while. So I'm looking forward to getting back into it, I guess, again, starting tomorrow. All right. Are you flying home tomorrow? Yes, I fly. I, my flight's super early in the morning and I fly, I fly back to Chicago um, in, yeah, tomorrow morning. Are you nervous about flying? Um, no, I've had to fly a few times now during the pandemic. Um, first for, uh, to get to Philadelphia for the procedure, um, and then to get home and then to get back to Philadelphia for my follow-up appointment and then back to get home. So I'm sort of used to that by now. Any suggestions Um, for those of us who haven't flown yet? (laughs) Any what? Sorry? Suggestions for those of us that might be going on a plane? (laughs) Um, uh... Be prepared for, bring your own food. Most of the airports are um, no longer serving food. Um, so if you are going to get hungry on the plane, you want to bring your own. They don't serve food on the planes anymore. And, or drinks, uh, right? No drinks either? They serve, I think, canned sodas and canned beer, and that's it. No, like, uh, I think they, they might have water bottles too, but yeah. Um, so you can, can you, can you buy, I know this isn't really what we're here to talk about, but I am curious, can, can you buy? This is why you brought me on, right? Yeah, for this, the, is, uh, this is all about, this is actually an FAA report. Um, can yeah. you buy water once inside? Or, because you can't bring water because they don't let you bring liquids. Um, well, you can like bring an empty water bottle and fill it up with like a water, at the like water fountains and oh, The stuff. water fountain that everybody uses, gross. Yeah, <laughs> it's like no contact, you know. Yeah, like has a sensor that says that your water bottle's under it and it starts to go. Oh yeah, that's um, true. But yeah, it's just not the same. It's very eerie, and you you don't need to budget as much time because there's like four people in the airport. Oh, well, that's interesting. Well, I have the yeah. TSA thing too, which is. Oh well, there you go. Yeah, which is if anybody listening, trust me, it's so worth the hundred bucks. To the do TSA it. pre-check. Yes, thousand percent. Yeah, thousand percent. All right, let's get into you. You grew up in Duval, Washington. I did. Yeah, and to good parents. <laughs> I know this because I am related to at least one of them. <laughs> at least one. I hope not both. Yeah. That would be really bad. <laughs> that would be bad if I was related to both of them. But, you know, through marriage, I'm related. Yeah, so, sure. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about upbringing. Uh I know that you were one of my first guests way back when, when I first started. Like guest number three, if I remember correctly. Yeah, you were you were a, a trailblazer <laughs> with me as I was learning the ropes. Tell me about childhood. So just to, for anybody listening, uh, Jesse, you are transgender. And yes. uh, growing up, none of, none of your family members knew this. Clearly you knew this. Um, or did you not? Um, that's a, that's a really interesting question. Like, what does it mean to know that you're transgender? Um, as early as preschool, I was starting to notice the differences between boys and girls. And, um, and I think starting to feel just like a tinge of like sadness that like I was a boy and not a girl. I'm using air quotes, um, 
heavy air quotes on both of those because, you know, uh, I think my earliest memory of like the difference between uh, uh, the genders of boy and girl uh, was in preschool. One of the kids who was like one of like the slightly older kids or like slightly cooler kids, whatever. I don't know what a cool kid in preschool is, but my memory of this kid was that he had, he was like a cool preschooler. Um, and, uh, he was like asking everyone what their favorite color was and everyone was like saying it. And then he would like be the arbiter of whether it was like a boy color or a girl color, whether they were doing a good job picking their colors or whatever. Um, and I said, my favorite color was yellow. And, uh, I think partly because, um, from when I was in daycare, I had this little like, um, uh, action figure of uh, the yellow ranger that had been given to me by like the daughter of the daycare lady. Um, when I left, uh, and I'm big fan of the Yellow Ranger, big fan of just the color yellow, how bright and like, you know, lovely it is. Right. And um, so I said my favorite color was yellow. And this guy like made so much fun of me. He was like, yellow is a girl color. The girl colors are pink and yellow. And the boy colors are like, I think like red, uh, red, green, blue or something like that. And like from that moment on, I told everyone my favorite color was red because I didn't want to get made fun of. Um, and just that like tiny little like microcosm of like, having to conform to like the, the gender that I was expected to be uh, has stuck with me ever since, um, especially once I started transitioning and started looking back at my life and like who I was growing up and all the signs that were there before even I recognized it. So, um, so yeah, I, I would say I didn't, you know, in, in uh, kindergarten, first grade, we used to play like boys chase girls. I would always be on the girl team. Um, uh, and then, um, there's another big memory I have of, um, I think it was in first grade. Um, we had like a Spanish teacher who came in and was teaching us Spanish. Um, and uh, I believe, you know, this story and Susan, as you, uh, anyway, um, I can't remember if I talked about it last time, but anyway, um, she was like teaching us different Spanish words for, uh, uh, clothing. And when she got to, uh, uh, dress, um, she was like said asked if anyone wanted to like model the dress and no one raised their hands until this little boy named Marcus raised his hand. And it was the funniest thing in the world to us. Everyone was like, Oh look, it's like this boy, Marcus, he likes was prancing around wearing a dress. Um, and, uh, I'll never forget that moment. Everyone was like laughing and I was, and I was like jealous of him. Um, and apparently I don't, I did not remember this, but I apparently I went home that day and told my mom about it. Um, and then later that night came in and asked her if she had like a dress or a skirt that I could wear. Um, and she was like, Oh, sure. Uh, and she like, you know, pulled one out of the closet, gave it to me. Obviously it was way, way, way too big for me. Cause I was like six or seven. Um, and I like put it on and like swirled it around a little bit, stood there for a second. And my mom said, she like remembers me like standing there considering it. And then like, I dropped it to the ground and I just like ran off. Like I was like, not, I don't know. Um, so she, she always sort of suspected early on that like I was going to grow up to be gay or something like that. Um, and then when I started like dating women and stuff, she was like, well, maybe that was just a phase. Um, so she didn't have the words to describe it as transgender back then, but she did have some suspicions, uh, based on little moments like that. Um, had she said how she felt about that? She was scared for me. She didn't, um, obviously she was like not, she didn't chastise me for wanting to try on this, um, uh, piece of women's clothing, but, um, 
but she was, she said she really hoped that I wouldn't be not because she didn't like the idea of me being gay, she says, but because she didn't like the idea of me being persecuted, the world being harder for me, me being in danger. Um, and that was also her reaction when I came out to her as trans that she, um, uh, at that point she was like, can't you just be gay? She said, she didn't say that to me. Thankfully she never like put any of her fears on me, at least not to begin with. Um, not until I started like presenting outside of, um, the home as a woman, but, um, she did have that thing of like, well, wouldn't it just be easier if you were gay? Like, like, can, why do we have to do this? This is just so, so much. And this was four years ago now. Which More than four years ago. That's not even very long ago, really. How no, I mean, it feels like a long time. That's like a quarter of my life. Uh, or not really. It's what? It's not a quarter of my life. It's uh, Don't sixth make me of my do life. That's math. math. Six, six of my life. I could do the math. I got there. <laughs> but it's, it's like, you know, the entirety of my adult life um, Yeah, has been as a trans woman. That's... My cat just showed up. So. Oh, Dizzy. Yes, Dizzy. Hi, Dizzy. Hi, Dizzy. I am curious. What knowing that your parents are supportive of you, of you, they love you, but there's still this. Uh, to me, that's still an othering going on. How do you come to terms with that feeling? Like, oh, I know that you love me. I know that you support me, but it's kind. Of, but it still feels like there's a caveat built into it. What is what did that do for you? How did how did you come to terms with that feeling? It's a good question. I I think acceptance is a sliding scale. Um, it's not black and white. Um, there's all sorts of ways that people can accept and not accept, um, and every sort of degree or iota of like unacceptance is painful. Um, in and of itself and every like sort of iota or degree of acceptance is beautiful and, uh, and warm and um, makes you feel, you know, triggers endorphins, all that stuff. And then, so like, on a grand scale, I think you add up all the pluses and minuses and whatever it comes out to at the end, it's sort of your like overarching picture of like how it feels to be, um, you know, the child of your parents. Um, but each moment also contributes. So like when they say things like that, that are othering, it would hurt despite them being overall good and supporting parents. Um, and I would have hard conversations with them. Uh, my dad and I would often go out for breakfast on Sundays or Saturdays, once a weekend usually. Um, we would have these conversations, like one-on-one -on -one conversations that we didn't really get to have often otherwise. Um, and that summer, when I first started transitioning, Medically, I had been, you know, there's different definitions of what it means to transition. Well, well I want to get own into person. that for sure. Was that? I said I want to get into that for sure. Oh, uh, sure, yeah. Uh, but yeah. I, I can touch on it really quickly, actually. Some people consider themselves as starting transitioning once they realize to themselves that they're trans. Some people do it once 
they start telling other people that they're trans. Some people consider it when they start medically transitioning. But of course, some people don't medically, quote unquote, medically transition at all. So um, it's really a personal thing. For me, I consider myself as starting transitioning that summer after um, my sophomore year of college when I first started taking hormones and I first started like really taking the steps. I started in therapy. I started really taking the steps towards becoming the person that I am today and not just thinking about it and talking about it, but actually doing it. So that's what it means for me. That doesn't necessarily mean that's what it is for everybody. Um, but that first summer that I like started transitioning, um, I had a lot of conversations with my dad about this. Um, my mom was much quicker to sort of, I think she really saw the pain I was in and really wanted to alleviate that pain, even if it meant risk of danger in the future. Right. Like she, she believed that, um, she believed me when I said that this is the only way I can feel better. Um, and so she was, um, all about finding me the resources and, you know, getting me the steps and, and, and all the different doctor appointments and stuff. She was all about helping me with that. Um, and my dad was too, but he was a little more hesitant. Um, and I had conversations with him where he would say, you know, well, why don't we just start on testosterone blockers? Why don't you just like, you know, see how you feel when you're blocking your testosterone. And then if you like it, then you can take the next step at hormones. That way you're not rushing into anything. And I said, dad, at one point I told him like, dad, number one, you, I'm not rushing into anything. This is something I've thought about for a very long time. And the only reason that you know anything about this is because of how long I've thought about it. Like I, you, you believe me when I tell you that like, my first step in my process of like coming to terms with the fact that I was trans was not telling my parents that was step like 38. That was like, I had, I had like really, really spent hours and hours, days and days, weeks, months, years thinking about this. And I only told you once I was absolutely certain. So there's no, you know, there's no uncertainty here. Number two, when you say that, you want me to like ease into it and stuff, or you think that I should ease into it for my own good. You, what you're really, what I'm hearing is you want to do it so that you're comfortable. It's so that you can get used to it. It's not about me. And when I said that to him, he like stopped and like really thought about that. And to his credit, that's something he's very good at doing is when you call him on bullshit uh, that he says, I don't know we can swear, right? Or I hope so. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I've got to go back on a lot of episodes and do some work. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, so when you call him on bullshit, um, he is the type of person who will stop and reconsider the thing that made you call bullshit on. Um, he is very good and, at that. I give him credit for that because a lot of people are not good at that. And he he really, his in level of introspective sometimes, introspection sometimes to his detriment is, is really great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, so from there, he was much more on, on board, both in spirit and in um, practice with the steps I was making. And we've had to have that conversation a couple of times in four years um, as new sort of steps in my transition get added on. Um, but he is now four years later, my parents are attending like P-flag meetings, for those of you who don't know, parents and friends of lesbians and gay meetings. Um, obviously, the acronym was created before there was this boom in trans people that have happened in the last five, ten years. But um, anyway, p 
Peak Flag Meetings, learning a lot from there. He's been going to this thing in Seattle called Gender Odyssey, uh, which is this great uh, conference on um, gender diversity and um, in all its forms in Seattle that happens once a year. Um, and uh, he's come a huge long way. And my, my mom, too. They both come a huge long way in just, like, understanding these issues um, and become, being an ally for me and for trans people as a whole. Um, so I'm extremely, extremely lucky for that. Um, I wish I wasn't lucky. I wish that was the norm. But, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I remember when uh, we, the family, all learned collectively, because you told me over, I think it was over Skype. Was it? Or did I, I think yeah, I might have sent you an no. email first, and then we had a Skype about it. No, I remember because, I think you sent me the email after, because when you were, because we oh. were doing the Skype, because you were studying acting and playwriting and all this stuff, I, I remember stopping you and saying, wait, is this a... A monologue. I didn't realize it was real life exactly. Oh, and, oh that's right. Okay. Yeah, and you I remember you where yes. I was. I was like yeah. uh, I was outside. So. I was outside in college, like sitting in this little alcove in this like church that's was on my campus because I went to a Christian university. And uh that that's wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It seems like a lifetime ago for sure. Yeah, but really I remember does. talking to my dad about because dad, my dad and I have these deep deep conversations all the time we talk every day about okay. everything and he was he didn't understand even though he's a scientist and all that he, he had so many questions and he had a I think his generation in general has a great confusion over gender and sexuality and understanding all that the funniest thing his response was well how's she gonna have kids and I said well with science, <laughs> duh, <laughs> you know, kind of yeah. thing. But it was If she even wants kids. If she even wants to, right. Well, that was the question I got, too. Are you going to yeah. have kids? You know, I, apparently I owe it to the world to have children, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I, <laughs> we've already crossed all those bridges. But anyway, yeah. um, it's not about me. It's about you today. Uh, every other day can be about me. <laughs> but I remember that uh, conversation, actually several uh, trying to explain it, I think he finally started to understand. But for people listening, I think that is a big confusion. And could you talk about that a bit, about the difference between gender and sexuality and, and what it all means? And because I know that there are people who go, okay, wait, you dated girls, but but you're trans, but now you're this. You know what I mean? Everybody wants to put everybody in a box to make sense of things. And it's just life is so gray so sort of the, the basics of it is um gender is who you are and what you are uh, and sexuality is who and what you're attracted to um i before i started transitioning i don't i want to as a disclaimer i don't still totally understand my own sexuality um something i've talked about quite a bit in therapy but before I started transitioning, I only dated women. Um, and looking back, I remember like crushes I would have on men, but it was always like romantic and never like sexual. Um, and then as I started transitioning, 
I found myself becoming less and less attracted to women and more and more attracted to men. Um, and now I think I would classify myself as bisexual, currently in a relationship with uh, a man. Um, but my, my like sexuality is, is, has changed and evolved and, and sort of fluctuated throughout the years to, uh, as I become more and more close to who I am, who I am. And, um, I think part of that is because sex to me in the past had been a means of me getting as close as possible to being a woman. Um, and now that I like am a woman, um, I, I mean, I, I was back then too, but like, you know, now that I am embodying the person that I want to be, I'm no longer as interested in um, sexual relationships with people who are the person that I wanted to be. And now just can, I can just have, I can be the person that I want to be and I can be with people who just, I want to be with. Um, so that's, I, that's how I sort of like think of it for my own sexuality, but, but it's different for everyone. Um, and it's complicated and I don't think, we really know. Um, yeah. And I, I usually go to the default of who somebody wants to sleep with is really nobody else's business as long as they're not hurting anyone. Yeah, as long as it's consensual, consensual. consensual adults. Exactly. When you date now, dating is a shit show regardless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, can't. Me, huh? I, I imagine that there's a whole other level especially as you're going through transitioning you know and um learning uh, because so much of our dating so much of our sexuality is is how we feel about our own bodies and if you feel trapped in the wrong body or at least perhaps betrayed by certain body parts that don't feel like yours even then you have to be present sexually and emotionally and in vulnerability with another person. That's got to throw all sorts of monkey wrenches into the, the mix. How did, how have you dealt with the arc of that? Um, well, first of all, I don't think it's as like simple as quote unquote trapped in the wrong body. That was a, like, that's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot about trans people. Um, What's a better and What's it, a better way to put it? Would you say, um, or at least for you? Well, you I think it's, and that's the thing is like it's different for so many people, right? There are trans women who never get surgery, never get you know, uh, never medically transition at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very like you know, individual thing. I think the, a more accurate way to say how I was was not trapped in the wrong body, but rather. Um, at odds with certain parts of my body. I was, uh, I like what you said, betrayed by, I think it's, but I don't think my like relationship with my body and my anatomy was extremely complicated. Um, and I did a lot of work. So for, you know, uh, the listeners, um, I recently about three months ago underwent gender confirmation surgery, uh, vaginoplasty. I, um, uh, and in preparing for that, I did a lot of emotional work on really coming to terms with the anatomy that I once had. Um, and the reason for that was because when I 
it's not like they, you know, cut off your your penis and then build you a like dig a vagina into you, right? It's the my vagina is just a reconstruction of what my penis used to be. So um, it's the same body part, the same molecules, the same everything, same tissue, um, in a different form and serving a different function or similar but sort of diametrically opposed function. And um, and it was really important to me going into it because I was feeling some nerves that I, I, I had never really come to terms with the anatomy that I had. It was always like this little extra appendage that was like tacked on that I never felt any kinship with and it didn't feel like mine. My, I have done a lot of work to like be comfortable in my body, but then that specific aspect of my anatomy, I um, never really could identify with. It, didn't, it never felt like me or mine. Um, so toward the very end, I was trying really hard to um, feel grateful for what it does for me and, um, you know, sh- sh- uh, pour love and, and uh, kindness and uh, toward it for uh, everything it's done for me throughout the years, despite the nuisance it had been. Um, and I think, and I don't know, I think it helped a little bit with the surgery, uh, bring a more positive energy in there because it's the same thing down there now. It's just a different shape, different form. Um, so in answer to your question, um, it was, it was really, really hard to be like sexual with people, um, with an anatomy that didn't feel comfortable with, um, without going into like a lot of extreme detail, I, um, there are certain things that I just wouldn't do that I wasn't interested in doing, or I wanted to have happen, but couldn't really happen with what I had. Um, and I, didn't want people to see or touch it. Um, and so there was sort of a hard line in the sand where I would be willing to get to uh, when having sex and then would not go past that. Um, and so for the first three and a half years of my transition, that was what's, I mean, I didn't have any sexual encounters at all for like a year and a half to two years. And then after a couple of years, I would, I dipped my toes in and started to explore what I was interested in, but there was still that like hard cap on what I would do. Um, because I just didn't feel comfortable doing it. Now that, uh, that your vagina is an integral part of your body, that it's something that you are connected to, which by the way, people born with vaginas spend their whole lives never connecting to their vaginas. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Geni- the genitalia. Well, they're not really taught to. <laughs> absolutely. Totally. Um, boy, what a relief that must be. To, it's to Even to stand shocking. in front of a mirror naked and be like, oh, finally. <laughs> you know? It's shocking. I. It's like, imagine if you had a splinter for all your life. Right. And when you don't have a splinter, not having a splinter is not a sensation, right? Like you don't, you don't feel good about not having a splinter. Like I don't feel, I don't have a splinter in my foot right now. I feel nothing. It means nothing to me. But if you had a splinter in your, in your foot for 24, like 24 years, and then you finally managed to get that splinter out of your foot, you're going to feel so much warmth and, and like joy 
emanating from your foot at all times. Uh, and like eventually that, w- that will go away, but you'll always remember what it was like to have a splinter in your foot. And, uh, and so your relationship to your foot will be different, right? Like um, for, for that reason, I think like I, there are moments when I don't think about my like new vagina and like, I am not, um, I'm still, I still have a ways to go emotionally before I feel totally comfortable and at home. I'm very like, I overthink things a lot. I have, I spend a lot of time in my, um, you know, I'm a lot like my dad, I think in that way. Um, and, uh, I had just gotten used to having a penis. It was like uncomfortable. It like interfered with some of the clothes that I would want to wear and like get in the way in sexual encounters and just like generally be a nuisance and sometimes a painful nuisance. Um, uh, and, but it was something I was just living with because I'd had it forever. And now that I don't have it, it feels so natural and so like normal that like there are times when I don't even think about it. And then when I realize it and like realize that I'm not thinking about it, that in itself is like a sort of surreal absurdity to like come to terms with. And, um, you know, before you get surgery, even when it's something you've been thinking about for four years and knowing you want it to do, um, you get, or at least I got nervous. I got, what if this is a mistake? This is an irrevocable change. This is a huge, huge step, um, that I can never go back from. I don't like my penis, but what if a vagina is worse? Like, you know, all these thoughts going through my head, second guessing things leading up to it. Um, so it's, so having that, like, and then like, like two weeks later when I first get to, or like a week and a half afterward, when I first get to see my new vagina being covered in bandages and stuff and packing and all this medical stuff. Um, It's, um, a massive relief to be like, oh, I was right. This was what I wanted. This was what I needed. Um, and like you said, when I see myself in the mirror now, it's a sublime feeling. It's euphoric. It's, I look in the mirror and I recognize what I see like in its entirety. And of course, there are still things that I have like body issues about and stuff like that, but it's unquestionably mine and it's unquestionably me. Do the doctors talk to you about things like pleasure and stuff like like what's what to expect around that arena? Yeah, um, they talk about that. Um, ostensibly, I... I'm still, well, not even ostensibly, I'm definitely still able to orgasm. Um, <laughs> uh, I know that firsthand. Um, Literally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I haven't had sex yet. I'm not really going to for a couple of months. Um, but theoretically, it still should be pleasurable. I have like a G spot, I have a clitoris. Um, all the nerve endings still 
work theoretically, although there's still some that I think are still waking up a little bit. Um, so yeah, it will still be a pleasurable act. Um, they don't like really walk me through stuff beyond like pointing out where everything is. Um, but that's something that I'm going, that I'm looking forward to exploring with my boyfriend when we get a chance. Um, and he's been supportive of everything. Oh yeah. It's remarkable. He's, um, it shouldn't be remarkable. I'll just say that. Like I'm going to praise him, but this is how most, this is how all men should be. But anyway, um, he is a cisgender heterosexual man who, um, I started dating in October. Um, how'd you meet? And, um, we both play magic, the gathering. Um, and we met after I kicked his ass, uh, in a game of magic, the gathering at a local game store in Chicago. Um, <laughs> uh, and we like just started chatting and then, you know, the next time I saw him, we, pa- we were paired up again. And then, um, uh, that afternoon he asked me out, um, and then we dated for a while and then it like fizzled and then we sort of rekindled it a few months later when we reconnected at a larger tournament in Indianapolis. Um, Do you feel when you meet uh, somebody like that, that you, that you behave, I'm going to use the word just normal, but what the fuck, I don't know what that means, but just like if I meet a guy and I say, how do you do? My name is Susan. I don't say, and I, you know, by the way, I'm this, that, or the other. So this is actually a longer, that, that, that question, the answer to that question is longer and more complicated than you might expect. Um, I had been dating someone for about nine, 10 months, something like that, or eight or nine months, um, until November of 28, yeah, November of 2018. Um, a couple months after that, I was like getting back out there. And I had a bit of um, what I sort of think of as like my whole period um, where I uh, like dated and casually dated and hooked up with like a many more people than I, you know, thought I was going to. And um, I kept like dating people for a couple weeks and then it fizzled uh, for one reason or another. Um, And I have some people who I date for longer, but it was like always explicitly not serious and it was um always a good question when I would tell people that I was trans um uh my tinder profile which I still have because my boyfriend and I are non-monogamous um but my tinder profile um both says in the little thing where it's where you put your gender, it says trans woman. And then I also have at the bottom, I'm trans, so swipe left. Um, and uh, so anyone I match with on Tinder knows right off the bat that I'm trans. And a lot of people will like match with me and then like unmatch with me because they see that and they leave, which honestly, good riddance uh, saves me the trouble of learning that the hard way. Um, the, uh, um, people I meet in real life. I mean, it's, it's hard to know. Like, I don't, there's the phrase, there's a phrase used in the trans community uh, called passing, which means like you pass, like you pass for the gender that you are, that you're experienced gender. Right. So I am a trans woman. I quote unquote pass for a cis woman would be what the phrase would mean. Um, and I think I, 
I think there's a lot of problems with that phrase. I don't like it because it's sort of, if you like extend that, the meaning of that phrase out, it's like, okay, well, if you don't quote unquote pass for a cis woman, does that mean you fail as a woman? Right. Like, uh, and uh, you know, there's also this, it's so, so gendered and colonized. Like what does it mean to look like a woman? It's so, and like this sort of like, it's, you look like a white woman, right? Like it's so many like uh, fucked up things about the phrase passing. Um, but there's not, I mean, like people, I think the, the phrase a lot of people use now is uh, cis-assumed. Are you cis-assumed? Cis-assumed. Uh, uh, I think in a lot of aspects of my life now, I am cis-assumed by strangers. But once you start talking to me, once you start like hearing my voice and stuff like that, um, it's, I think, the way... I ha- I've had conversations with my boyfriend about it um, where... Uh, we talked about when he first started dating me. Um, I asked him like, did you like know I was trans or when did you know I was trans? And he said he wasn't, he doesn't totally know exactly when it was. Um, it might've been even the first conversation um, or it might've been later. Uh, I think because, so I'm, I'm relatively tall. I mean, we're the same height, but um, uh, you know, tall for a woman. Um, uh, 5'11", if you don't mind me saying. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm um, almost 6'1", so I understand being... Oh, are you? Oh, I, I think I, I'm like 5'11 and a few, like three quarters. Anyway. Um, That's how I can send you my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, which is extremely clutch. Uh, uh, but um, uh, I'm, I'm tall for women. I don't often, like my voice sometimes slips into a lower register. There's just sort of monikers that you can use to like like realize that I'm a trans woman, but he says you, even though like some, like it's, it's, you're clearly a woman, even if sometimes you're clearly a trans woman. Like I, I give off, like, I think like a, a feminine enough egg energy that like people, uh, will gender me correctly 99 times out of a hundred. And like, um, I don't get like harassed or stared at. Um, and I think people can sort of put the pieces together once they get to know me that I am trans, especially because, oh, that's, that might be the other thing. I'm extremely like vocal about trans issues on Facebook and Twitter. So the moment he was like friends with me on Facebook, he saw that I was like tweeting about, uh, you know, the trans military ban and things like that. Um, or posting about it. Um, so I, no, I never, I, I think I've had to have a, a conversation with people um, sometimes before I think I'm going to hook up with them saying, Hey, just so you know, I'm trans, I'm pre-op. Um, I am, you know, uh, comfortable with X, Y, and Z thing happening. I'm not comfortable with X, Y, and Z happening, or I guess what, like W V and whatever. I'm, I'm comfortable with these things. I'm not comfortable with these things. And, um, I just want to like, let you know ahead of time. Um, so that we don't have to have an awkward conversation in the moment. So I've had that conversation many times. Uh, I never had it with um, Isaac, my boyfriend, um, the first time we started dating, because we never really got to that point. We would like go on dates. Um, uh, and he has said that he had to do a lot of um, uh, internal sort of reckoning early on. And he said, as he was telling me this, he said, like, I recognize that this is like ridiculous that I had to do this. And looking back on it, it's absurd. And I, you know, but this was who I was at the time. I had to do some reckoning with my own sexuality to um, when I started dating you um, and like what it meant that I was attracted to you. Um, and of course, obviously all it meant was that I'm a straight woman and you're an attractive woman or sorry, I'm a straight man and you're an attractive woman. Uh, and, 
but at the time it was like, but you're trans, but like, I'm, you know, uh, and so our relationship fizzled back then. Um, and he said that he was a little bit grateful that he didn't have to like really come to terms with what it meant at the time. But when we reconnected and started dating again, um, it was just so clear to him that like, it, it became obvious to him at that point that like, there's no issue if he's a straight woman or a straight man and I'm a woman that like, of course it's, you know, a natural pairing. Um, and so he's always been like supportive of it, of my transness and um, was immensely supportive and helpful, especially in the months leading up to it. And then uh, immediately following because uh, my first few weeks after really my first month and a half after surgery was miserable. Um, and he was extremely, extremely helpful and supportive through that. Um, it so it's interesting? possible. Is it's it? extremely possible to be a you know trans woman and date cishet men. It's interesting though because you said just a second ago it's like a natural pairing. Isn't it funny how we don't even realize what we when we throw in words like that? Like, what does natural mean? Like, what does normal mean? What is is there some point in your life where you get to say I'm a woman, not I'm a trans woman? Do they always go together? Is that part of the identity? Yeah, um, I I think there will never. I think I will always claim the identity of trans woman because that's what I am. <laughs> I don't think there's. I don't think that's a qualifier. The fact that I'm trans, I think it's like saying I'm a tall woman, I'm a brown-haired woman, I'm a white woman. Um, you know. Uh, it's just an adjective that describes it. And when it's relevant, it's something that I would say, I think like when the fact that I'm trans doesn't matter, right? Like, you know, on my driver's license, it just says female. Um, Thanks Washington state. Whoop. Yeah. Although that's, you know, you can, you can change your gender. On, I think in almost every state, if not every state, um, is that Washington state has the X gender though, which is pretty sweet oh. for non-binary people. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, you can um, legally get your gender changed um, in in most states, if not all of them. I I don't quote me on that because I don't know if it's all of them, but I know it's true in Illinois and it's true in, in many many states that you can get your gender marker changed. It sometimes it's harder. Sometimes you have to like get letters from therapists and stuff, um, which I think I might have had to do. I'm not. I don't remember what that process was like. It was a bit of a blur. Um, um, How is? But yeah. How has fear played into your life thus far? I know that, you know, when you told everyone in the family, that, like your mom, having the immediate concern and fear for your safety because the likelihood of uh, the trans violence is so great compared to cisnormative violence. Uh, Have you experienced that or have you been well insulated from that? Um, other than knowing that it's out there and reading, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My first few months when I was transitioning, I was very naive. I thought that my timeline for like when I would be able to be out and about as a woman and look like a woman and, you know, behave like a woman and all this stuff and be treated as a woman um, was much shorter than it was actually going to be. I was like, in six months, I'll be out, out and about, like, being a, a woman, you know, all that stuff. Um, but, of course, that wasn't really true. 
some very specific things happened that um, contributed to the fear I felt as a trans woman um, within the first six months of my transition. Um, the first thing was, so I went to school in Southern Indiana. For, I went to college down there. Um, and I remember I was walking home from a party um, at the house that you went to the party was remember that one time that you I went do. to a party at my, in my college town. I do uh, remember. Yeah. So I was walking back from that house. Remember it was out in the, it was far away from where I lived. Right. It was a bit of a walk and I was walking home and I was like wearing, um, like a skirt and like, you know, a women's blouse, um, no makeup or anything did not really look like a woman, whatever that means. Um, and I was walking home with a couple friends and I heard some laughter approaching and this car was driving by with their window down. And uh, one of the, like, this guy leaned out the window and was like, hey, you faggot, at me as they drove by. I was like 11, or it was like, no, it was like one in the morning, I think, maybe midnight. Um, terrifying experience, humiliating experience. I went home, I changed into just like, you know, androgynous basketball shorts and like cried myself to sleep. That was the first thing that happened. That was the first time I was like experienced. Um, I had people like stare at me and some laughter before then, but like that was my first time, like someone calling me a faggot on the street. Um, the second thing that happened was a few weeks after that, um, Donald Trump was elected. And I remember that night, uh, everyone remembers that night, but I remember that night and um, I had nail polish on, teal nail polish, um, which was my favorite color of nail polish. And that night I um, was sobbing in the stairwell of uh, a dorm and um, I had just gotten off the phone with my parents um, uh, you know bawling I was asking myself how can I even transition in this world if this is what the, the country's like and I was and I was looking at my fingernails and realizing how like um, vulnerable they made me and I started scratching them off with my I was scratching off the paint with my fingernails until it was all gone so not it was painful and it was uh, really, really fucking sad. Uh, and that next morning and for the rest of my college career, um, I stopped presenting as a woman. Even I kept transitioning. I kept like taking hormones and stuff, but uh, in public I would just wear baggy androgynous clothes and kept my head down and just tried not to be noticed. Um, of course, I still, I was writing for like the school magazine about trans issues and um, still posting on Facebook and Twitter and stuff and being vocal like that. And when I would go to like parties at a friend's house, I would like dress the way I wanted to. But out during the day and out in public, never ever would spend, would uh, be visually anything other than like the weird white guy with long hair and baggy clothes who, you know, kept to himself. And so I didn't really face violence after that, uh, at least not in Evansville, um, the town I was in, uh, because I made myself invisible um, to avoid it, which was its own kind of violence, emotion, like emotional self-inflicted violence. Uh, and it had a, a pretty profound psychological impact on me that I um, spent the first, my first like year in therapy once I graduated college was about unpacking what that felt like and um, 
what that did to me and like coming to terms with who I am and like getting comfortable again, presenting the way I wanted to in public. Um, uh, so yeah. A long answer to your question of how fear has impacted you. No, it's great. I mean, I I encourage long answers. We have all the time in the world. Uh, I remember at that party, um, and I'd had a couple drinks, Mm -hmm. and for me, referring to you in your correct pronoun was still relatively new, and as I was drinking, my brain shifted to an older pattern, and I misgendered you. And then I was so horrified. I remember standing in that weird little hallway, kind of there was like a door, and I misgendered mm-hmm. you. And then I was like, Ooh! and then I started apologizing profusely. And I remember you said to me, stop, this is worse. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think that's something, I really want you to talk about that as well. If, if I don't know if you remember that, that, that moment. I don't remember that. I mean, that, that incident happened a billion times in my career, not with you specifically, but with you know, I, I don't doubt it. Um, yeah. but, um, I, but, I, but I've seen yeah. since then, you know, because I follow a lot of trans accounts and I pay attention to, you know, obviously all of that. And I've heard that over and over again and seen that over and over again, that the whole, if you misgender me, say, oh, I made an, a mistake, move on because the apology is almost worse. Can you explain how that would, how that made you feel? Yeah. Um, I think an apology is fine if it's like short and sweet, right? Where it's like, oh, sorry, I, she, you know, I meant to say she. Or thank you for correcting me, she, right? Um, I think there's a lot of, I think like to, to explain why it's worse um, to go into like a long apology, um, and there's a lot of there's, there's several reasons why it's worse. I think it or it, it, there's like several sort of yeah like okay. First of all, a long apology puts them in an awkward position where they feel like they have to um, forgive you and make you feel better for them being hurt, right? Um, like if I, if um, someone if I if I accidentally refer to a trans man as she, and then I'm I'm you know saying oh I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I, you know you know I think of you like this I'm like I I'm the worst person ever I feel so bad all of a sudden that puts them in a position where they in order to get you to stop they have to be like no you're okay like they have to make you feel better right it, it's making your embarrassment and guilt about you supersede their yeah. yeah supersede their discomfort and their um you know and that emotional pain yeah um there's also like uh uh they also shouldn't have to forgive anyone for it right like like um I mean, it happens a lot with family because you know the person for um so long as a different gender and then it becomes um uh, and then when they are you know their correct gender, it can take time. Um, and it takes a long time. Uh, but, and I think most trans people, especially who first start transitioning are understanding of that. And therefore like, you know, they're expecting that. Um, but as time goes on, you know, misgendering is painful and it's, 
you know, unkind. Um, and it's understandable in certain circumstances, but, you know, it's something that should be fixed and corrected. And it's not the trans per- the trans person has no obligation to forgive the person who has misgendered them. Like, it's not about forgiving that person because it's not that kind of error, right? Like, um, for- forgiveness com- like forgiveness comes from the person not making that error anymore, right? Like, I have no interest in like forgiving someone. I want to see their actions change, and then it's like, great, you have moved on, and there's no reason to forgive you anymore because you have, you know. And I believe that, like, extended misgendering, like, repeated misgendering comes from someone not really, truly, I mean, I'm trans, so people might think that, like, that gives me an edge at remembering people's pronouns, but that's not true. Like, everyone is a person, and when someone changes their pronouns around you, I don't have this magical superpower as a trans woman to just, like, know that, right? Uh, Or, like, to, like, immediately flip a switch in my brain. That's not how being trans works. Um... I, I just like know what it's like to be misgendered. And so I make a concerted effort to change my framing of that person in my brain to reflect their true gender. Um, and I still make mistakes sometimes, but when I, but I also know that it's painful to be, you know, to have someone apologize profusely to you. So when I make a mistake, I say, Oh, sorry. And then correct it. Or I say, Oh, thank you for correcting me. Um, uh, um, But yeah, it's, 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 um, it's as simple as making a note in your head. Uh, this is what this person's gender is now and catching yourself when you make the mistake in your brain, even when you don't say it out loud, you're just like, Oh, sorry. And like, you know, um, and, and really putting in that effort because it takes some time and takes some effort and takes some work and to show the person that you care about them, you have to just sort of do that work. Um, I remember, uh, your mom at uh, Christmas Eve this past year. Um, oh, I'm just scared to hear uh, this. She referred to me as he or something. She, she misgendered me in some way, and she was like, "Oh, I'm so sorry." Like, you know, you know, I, I, I it's. Uh, she's like, "It takes a while," and I'm like, "Well, it's been four years." And then it was just silence for a second, <laughs> and then like, uh, Uncle Matt said uh, she has a point, <laughs> and then like everyone laughed and then we moved on but like it's true like you know it was it was an awkward situation but also like it has been four years at that point it's like it's how long does it take right like I understand like you know it's not easy but at a certain point it shows that you're not putting in that effort and I think she really like took that to heart in that moment so uh, all water under the bridge but it was a it was a good example of like you know at a certain point you have to really really just like put in the work to say, no, this person is no longer a he, this person is a she, and I'm going to refer to them as such, refer to, refer to her as such, right? Yeah, and I think there's a reason why it's called a dead name also. It's a name that doesn't exist anymore in your frame of reference. Yeah, and I think it like it really encapsulates the, the pain that that name sort of invokes in someone. I still swipe left on everyone who has my dead name on t- on Tinder. Like, I refuse to match with anyone who has that name. I'm never going to have, like, it's, yeah, absolutely not. How do you feel about your uncle then? Because who has your name? Uh, he's a different, I mean, I don't, I don't love hearing it, but, like, it's yeah. a different situation where, uh, you know, he's always been, I can, I, I, it's not like I have friends with that name, 
who I refer to them as their correct name, but like I have no interest in like I I couldn't be like having sex with someone with that name and be like no, I'm not gonna say it. Like I'm not doing that. Um, that makes so, yeah. total sense. I'd like to move into you as a playwright. You wrote, oh, sure. yeah, you wrote a play, and let's talk about that. Uh, what what inspired it, and <clears throat> what was that like to create it, and uh, and get that out into the world? Yeah, remind me. Have you have you read it? Yes. Okay. I didn't get to see it performed. Yeah, you'll have you'll have other chances. I hope. Yeah, I hope um, so too. Uh, yeah, I wrote a play called Austin's Home about a trans man who comes home from Chris for Christmas, and it's his first time being home in a few years, um, and his parents don't know that he's trans. Um. There's also an element of um, shared family trauma because before he had left his parents' home, um, his sister uh, had been down at the, um, they had been down at the beach and his sister drowned. Um, And so the play is about forgiveness. It's about um, uh, trauma. It's about, um, reconciling with the past and, you know, coming to terms with what we have here and now. Um, it's what you do when like, when life happens to you, like, how do you, um, move on from there? How do you see each other for, you know, the people that they really are? Um, the play is, was inspired by a good friend of mine who is a trans man. Um, and, I was the first, so I went to a theater school in um, Southern Indiana, like I I think I mentioned that, and um, I was the first person in my theater department of about 120 people to transition. Um, And it was this whole to-do early on. I sent an email out to the entire department letting them know, um, and they changed my name in the roster and all this stuff. And for about four or five months, I was the only trans person in the department. Um, And... Then my good friend came to me at a party, um, very drunk, and like whispered in my ear that he was trans. And a few, like a month or two after that, he started, he came out and he started transitioning. And his mom was not the most supportive early on. And I have, I had like a lot of like conversations with him where we would, after his mom would say something hurtful to him or I'd comfort him. And I wrote this play at the time as like a 25 minute play, um, uh, uh, with, for this little play, this playwriting class I was in, um, I wrote this 25 minute play about like, I use a different name, but about this guy coming out to his mom, like, I wrote it for him and he like performed it and he was like read that part in class. Um, and it was like very rudimentary, very like soapboxy, you know, trans one one type, uh, play at the time. And that was like, well, like three and a half years ago, something like that. Um, a couple years later, I like had this play like kicking around in my head. I wanted to like expand it into a longer thing. And, um, yeah, a couple years later, I, I finally sat down and did it. Um, and it turned into the two hour thing that it is now. 
but it was all, it's always been for and about my friend, um, who his mom is great now. Uh, she, um, extremely, extremely supportive. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of about them. I think I met him at the party. I think, I think you did. Yeah. Yeah. You have a lot of nice friends. I think that would have been just after he started transitioning too. I think, yeah, I think that's right. I, I recall that. Yeah. Fun party. Fun party. It's a good uh, time. We played some beer pong. Yes, that's right. I think, didn't we kick ass at the beer pong? Yeah, we did. I'm pretty sure we did. I had to have other, your friends had to drink my beer because I can't drink it because I'm celiac. We did a very good job. Oh, was fire. <laughs> that was the night that we learned about your other friend who has the insane... You got to get him on the podcast. I know. Oh, my gosh. Murder and intrigue at holiday theme parks. Yeah. <laughs> Next one, hey human. No. <laughs> anyway, well, <laughs> so Austin's home. You're develop. You're continuing to develop it, and the plan is to hopefully put it on again in a larger context. Or yeah. Uh, so before the pandemic, um, I had been accepted to um, uh, workshop the play at the Great Plains Theater Conference in um, uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Then the virus happened and um, it got canceled, um, but it seems like it might happen still uh, in 2021. We'll see. I don't totally know. There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, I have to develop it further. I have come to a point where I don't think I can really do much more work on it on my own. I definitely need like a developmental team of like a dramaturg, a director, some actors and like really dig into it. Um, but yeah, it's the sort of next step would be to like have, have it at a like conference or two like that. And then hopefully start like trying to get it produced at a theater. In the meantime, I also am working on um, other plays as well. Um, so it's a um, it's sort of a process where once one is in this stage, it's sort of in stasis for a while until it gets a chance to bump forward. Basically. Is the trans voice your, what you're aiming for in your work or is it, for the reaching uh, in, in like my work in general yes um I definitely write a lot about trans issues but I don't think there's I don't think my plays are specifically about trans people I don't know if I would ever really write a, a full-length play that doesn't have trans people in it um and the reason for that is I've never been in a space that didn't have a trans person in it so I can't you know, I've, every space that I've been in has a, has at least one trans person in it because I'm in it, and um, and so I'm not super interested in uh, spaces that don't have trans people in it because that's not my lived experience. Uh, I'm also just like a passionate advocate for, um, you know, this the whole debacle of like cis actors playing trans roles, um, like the Jared Leto's and the Scarlett Johansons, etc. Uh, and then like Matt Bombers um, or Bomer, however you pronounce his name. Anyway, um, so I'm a big advocate on like creating trans roles for people and then using my position as a playwright because playwrights have quite a bit of say in like how, unlike with movies, playwrights have a huge amount of say in like what their plays look like when they're produced. Um, and so I would have the power as a, you know, as the playwright to ensure that only trans people get those parts. So um, there's a little bit of like, you know, that sense of like, 
social justice issue, but also just, I think, I believe strongly in like putting trans people on stage and having people, um, cis people see them and also giving trans people a place to see themselves on the stage. Um, I had a lot of people after, so I did like a, a one night play reading of Austin's home and I had some trans people reach out to me, including some people who I didn't know were trans until they reached out to me, um, who reached out and said that they, um, it was their first time really feeling like they saw themselves on stage and, um, uh, it, like what it meant to them to, to have that experience. And that's, I mean, that is, you know, all things, everything else aside, that's the number one reason, right? I, um, yeah. I have such a deep uh, love and um, I just, I love trans people. I think that um, we are some of the most resilient and, um, you know, I, I use the word, I'm going to use the word courageous, although I, I don't like when trans people are described as brave usually because we shouldn't, because it just feels so, honestly demeaning and also just like, um, uh, we shouldn't have to be brave. There's nothing brave about it. It's an, it's a necessary thing, but we are a, um, such a beautiful, we are such a beautiful people. And like the amount of, um, shit that we take in our lives and just keep pushing is remarkable. Um, and for so many of us, especially trans women of color, black trans women, um, just being who we are is a death sentence because of the, you know, hate that's in the world. And, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I love trans people so much. <laughs> I don't know like how else to put it, but. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. Uh, how might people find resource, whether they are discovering or know who they are and, and are trying to figure out how to go about finding better resources or for people that don't know anything about what it's like to be trans, do you, can you recommend maybe a book? Resources or? for trans people or for people who want to learn about trans people? Both. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of resources out there. Um, there's, uh, um, I, I, I early on, like when I first started transitioning, I didn't really know very many trans people. I did, um, a lot of Googling, uh, ask transgender, the subreddit, r slash ask transgender, um, great resource for almost any question that you could have about trans people has been asked there. Um, there's also, you know, uh, Websites like the HRC, although I have some problems with their politics um, and things like that, have um, resources for learning about um, how to transition, what it's like, oh, you know, resources in that regard. Um, there's, uh, you know, seek out the trans people you, you know. Mo I, I, don't, I can't think of any trans person that I know who would be unwilling to talk to another person who wants to transition about it, right? Like, um, I have several people in my life who are trans and who uh, one of the first things they did when they started transitioning was talk to me and ask me how to do it. Um, and um, 
for people who want to like see what it's like to be trans. I actually, I'm going to plug, um, a friend of mine's, um, uh, web series because I think it's, it does a brilliant job of, um, sort of highlighting many of the issues trans people face. Um, and it's brilliantly done and it's only 30 minutes in total. Each episode is like six minutes long or something like that. Um, but it's called the T by B Cordelia and, um, Daniel Keery. Um, and, uh, the T. It's the T. Just uh, the word, the the article, the and then the, the letter T. Um, and it's free on online to watch, um, and I highly, highly recommend it. Um, it's about a, a white trans woman and a black gay man and their friendship and some of the struggles they face in this like microcosm. Um, brilliant, brilliant piece of work. Um, uh, and just seek out trans storytellers to, uh, and listen to them. Right, like I think that's a huge thing. Um, if you want to know more about trans people, just listen to us. Um, follow us on Twitter. Follow, you know, there's a lot of great books. There's a lot of great e-resources. It's Pride Month. June is Pride Month, so there's absolutely the, the internet is being flooded with information. I asked you specifically because I didn't know if you had some favorites, but I for sure on HeyHumanPodcast.com will put a list of resources as well. That sounds great. Yeah, I, it's been it's been long enough that like I don't really have to Google like trans things anymore. Like, so um, the resources that I would have are pretty outdated. Um, Do you have a favorite trans but, writer? Uh, what's that? Do you have a favorite trans writer? Oh, that's a good question. Besides me, just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, hmm. I'd have to think about that. I can send you stuff sure. after we. Um, yeah. Uh, get off. I. Um, but yeah, definitely like the big thing is just don't just like ask trans people about their experiences. That's something that we get a lot of. We um, There's jokes that we like make people pay for trans one-on-one like because it's we get a lot of like invasive or like really rudimentary questions about being trans. So even more than like where to go, where not to go is just to like in the DMs of trans people, you know, just asking the questions. Don't, don't do that if, unless, you, unless you yourself are trans and are having specific questions about how to transition. Um, Rather than that, just like if you have friends, just like pay attention to them, follow them, and like uh, hear what they what they themselves divulge freely, and learn through that. Um, uh, because you know you don't want to have you don't want to just sort of you know I am not like a I am not an encyclopedia. I am not a um, wait. You're not Google. I <laughs> know, and you know the joke is like Google exists. Like you can Google your questions. Um, there is you know, so much information on the internet about that stuff. Um, yeah. How might people find you? Oh yeah. Um, I, uh, you can find me on, uh, Twitter, uh, at Jalana Lana. My middle name is Alana. So it's J A L A N A L A N A. Um, so it's J Alana Lana. Uh, J A L A. Yeah. Anyway, you get it. Don't be um, I'll put a link on. Hey, <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, maybe I should just change my, uh, Twitter name something more. No, I think uh, it's things. I like it. <laughs> um, and then uh, you can find me if you want to read um, my work. Um, uh, if you have a new Play Exchange account, I have um, Jesse Alana Robkin on um, New Play Exchange. Um, there's a like I think there's like a ten page sample you can read for free, or if you have an account um, which costs like five bucks a month or something like that, um, you can read Austin's Home on there um, for free. Uh, and yeah. There will be a website eventually, but I don't have one right now. Okay, get on that. I know. I 
It's such a pain, though. <laughs> oh, it's the worst. I know it. Jesse, this has been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. I know that you uh, are probably busy getting ready to fly home tomorrow. So, especially uh, some packing I've been putting off. Yeah. Well, I, I usually wait till the night before around midnight when I have to fly out at six. So, <laughs> I understand. Yes. Me exactly. Yeah, I love you. Are we related? I think so. I love you, and I'm proud of you. Just I love you too. Living in a crazy ass world, we're all doing so much to just hang in there. I'm proud of me too. I think we're we're doing. I'm proud of you too. I'm proud of everybody. I'm proud. I'm, this I'm is proud. a huge time. I know it really is, and uh, yeah. So, well done, family. <laughs> I love you. Thank you for being on the show. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. Please travel safe tomorrow and stay healthy. Yeah? Yes, we'll do. You as well. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. Take care of each other.